I'm Rehard van der Berg. And I'm Duncan McLeod. This is Talk Central, episode 196, for the weekend starting 27 October 2017. Talk Central is brought to you by Tech Central, real technology journalism. On Talk Central this week, US tech stocks are going bananas. Also this week, SAP comes clean, another submarine cable is coming, and iPhone 10 demand. It's Friday. It's time to do what we do best, talk sh- uh, tech. Welcome to the show. How's it, Rechat? How's it, Duncan? So we're joined today by a very old friend. I think, Richard, I've known you for about 20 years, if not longer. It's probably around about that long, yeah. Duncan, yes. Yeah. Richard Fearon, um, IT uh, industry, local IT industry, uh, how can I describe it? Warhorse. <laughs> Warhorse <laughs> is a good word for it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us uh, on the podcast mm, today. Thanks for inviting How's me. Richard? Thank you. What are you up to these days, Richard? Well, looking for trouble, looking for money. I mean, nothing's changed in 30 years, really. Um, yeah, I have, a, I have a belief or a motto that says rerum novarum cupidus. Roughly translated, that means fascinated by new things. So anything that's new, anything that can bring about big change uh, from a technology point of view, uh, not even limited to IT or plumbing or stuff that I see as kind of boring these days, to be honest. You know, anything from biotech to... UAVs to Internet of Things to alternative energy to too many things, I would say, would be the best way to describe that, Duncan, actually. Right, right. You've been doing quite a bit of stuff with the CSIR as well. Tell us about that. My time that I was with uh, CSIR as an entrepreneur in residence was really a, a very, very interesting time. It was uh, almost four years. And, you know, having a look at what uh, the country is able to produce and the level of innovation uh, that is possible to me was was wonderful. I mean, the CSRR, from my point of view, uh, deserves to have more brand equity than our rugby team, quite frankly, in terms of what it does for the country or what it can potentially do for, uh, for the country. However, you know, organs of state, I think, are organs of state, and we all understand the challenges that they face right now, and uh, I just hope that uh, it can continue to have the level of relevance that it's had since 1947, and... Uh, yeah, that's my wish for the CSR in any event. So I remember, I think it was the first uh, press trip overseas I ever went on was with you, Richard. We went to Bar- <laughs> we went to Barcelona. The stories. Uh, there was, oh, there's some stories around. We probably shouldn't relate them on this podcast. <laughs> there were some very interesting stories, actually. Um, and yeah, I mean, we. I think I'm the only person who had a press trip. We won't say which press trip, where one party didn't return and got married during the press trip. Good oh, Chris. Yes. I'll, yeah. uh, I'll leave that one out there. We, won't <coughs> we know you are. Um, okay, I won't say the name. No, no <laughs> I'm a good friend. I'm a good friend, so I know. I don't know the story. I'm going to have to ask you. We'll take this offline and talk to you about <laughs> this afterwards. <laughs> but yeah, Barcelona was fun, I must say. We didn't spend too much time at the press conference. No, the press conference was rather secondary. You know, I mean, if we go back to the press conference of, uh, of the day, you know, it was a case of if one had one at the Barberton Centre, one would uh, go and have a look and see if some people had vomited in the toilets. And if the journalist had, it was deemed to be a success. Yes, that would kind of describe it quite, quite aptly, yes. Uh, I think this industry has become, um, what's the word, a little more... Tame. Yeah, it's certainly not the press trips. Those are the press trips that I remember fondly, (laughs) and they don't make them like they used to. But maybe that's also because you're not so handler anymore, Richard, in that industry. Well, you know, one has to hand over the baton sometime, I guess. (laughs) um, The the power is in the hands of the media, gentlemen, and the media can can dictate its terms. And so it should, because that keeps us honest. Yeah, these days it's all online. It was, uh, you know, we didn't have deadlines the next day or even the next week. Now you're at a international press conference and the pressure is there to file before the press conference yeah. is even finished. So much more work, much less play, unfortunately. It's a different thrill and I do like mm. it. I do like it. Mm. I, uh, I recall the very first, what, connected online press conference that uh, I was part of. It even made the Sunday Times, yeah, so... Yeah, the excitement was great. <laughs> Holding the wires together in the background was, uh, was, was rather interesting. Um, and, you know, I think some of the journalists who didn't take part deemed it to be a bit of a fraud because right, people were given something for taking part. So, um, I'm not quite sure you know, uh, whether they were right or wrong or I was right or wrong. But uh, if we look at it today, right, 
uh, we've certainly moved to where everything is online. We've certainly moved to where, you know, the Friday morning breakfasts aren't, aren't what they used to be. And, you know, people don't drink as much and they're certainly a lot fitter. And, uh, you know, so I guess on balance, uh, you know, th- the relationship between, between uh, uh, vendors and, and the tech media has moved with the times, you know. Mm, it has changed quite dramatically in the last 20 years, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I remember when, uh, back in the 90s, when there were two, um, when, when I was starting my career, there were two main tech titles in South Africa, Computer Week and Computing SA. Those are weekly newspapers that were warring with each other. And you're right, it was um, hard work during the week, and then Friday it, we, <laughs> we all let it go. <laughs> um, but uh, now it's uh, the deadline is all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. 24-7. So, uh, before we get into the week's news, um, Rechab, let's do our quiz. Do you want to do the first question? Certainly. The first question in this week's quiz. A new submarine cable is headed to South Africa's shores. What is it called? Which two technology industry titans are dueling for title of uh, world's richest person? Third question. What is the name of SAP board member who is dealing with a company's Gupta kickback scandal in South Africa? If Spectrum in the 2.6 gigahertz band was released immediately, what would the price of a 1 gigabyte data bundle fall to, according to MTN South Africa CEO Godfrey Motza? And the last question. AMD has a new line of desktop processors that it's hoping to help gain market share from rival Intel. What is the processor line called? That's our quiz. As always, we'll get back to the answers to that at the end of the show. But let's dive into this week's uh, tech news. And it's, um, as the ambulances and cop cars go flying past outside, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's uh, U.S. tech reporting season at the moment. And last night we saw numbers, quarterly numbers out of Microsoft and Amazon. And they, after the bell, as they call it in the States, and both companies smashing and the consensus analyst forecasts and both shares surging in after hours trading. Um, those uh, markets are opening in a couple of hours um, uh, of, of the time of this recording. And uh, Amazon uh, and Microsoft both look set to, um, to hit new all-time highs, propelling the um, personal fortunes of uh, their respective founders to new highs as well. Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos um, I think both worth of around $90 billion each, um, uh, assuming that the, the markets, the, these shares open at the sort of levels that they are trading in, pre, in pre-market. Uh, but $90 billion, I mean, if you convert that to Rand, it makes these guys trillionaires. It's, um, it's astonishing amounts of money. And it's incredible to see how these big tech stocks have risen over the last five years. Um, I mean, if you look back to after the financial crisis in 2008-2009 and how the, these companies have soared, I mean, the amount of uh, revenue generation is, um, or, or, or wealth creation that's come out of them is absolutely fascinating. And of course, it's not just the American companies. We're seeing the big Chinese internet stocks. We were talking just before we started recording about Tencent. And of course, Nasdaq is uh, touching all new, new all-time highs as well. But Microsoft... Um, doing incredibly well on the back of their decision quite a few years ago now to focus on cloud. So, every, But every part of their business uh, mm. firing on all cylinders, Office, Windows, Azure, Azure in particular. Azure rev- data center revenues year on year rising 90%. Wow. Um, Amazon producing also similarly strong numbers from the Amazon Web Services business. But those two companies are in a neck and neck battle yeah, now for yeah. It really is those companies that aren't offering the cloud services are going to mm. fall behind. I mean, we often speak about how great Office Online is mm. and, and uh, Adobe Online, you know, the creative cloud suite, you know, the stuff that um, allows you instant access to what you need without having to pay overhead or yeah. pay a yearly license. If you want it for a month, you can get it for a month. If you want it for a few hours, you can probably uh, arrange that. Yeah. yeah look, I think that yeah. Microsoft made some, some clever moves. You know, I think acquiring mm. Skype was a clever move actually you mm. know it's a long-term game for them and if one looks at one's office uh, subscription now there's 60 free minutes to any telephone in the world telephone my goodness i'm showing my age <laughs> right to any connected device in the world you know and i think some of the things that they're doing there right you know they, they can build build very very well on yeah uh, i think we're going to see a lot more uh, integration, right? Not just from a Microsoft point of view, but from a general point of view to things like LinkedIn. I think those those platforms haven't fired yet either. You know, we think that they have, they haven't really. Um, you know, I think that with as as connectivity becomes more ubiquitous, 
and, 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 and available and, and we can do things that are high quality, I think we're going to see, you know, combined with the cloud uh, aspect of it, I think we're going to see uh, some space rocket action right in that particular area. And, you know, I mean, I can remember when Microsnot, I mean, sorry, <laughs> I was supposed to call them, yes, Microsnot and Puclet Hackard, yes. <laughs> Microsnot made the changes and became something wonderful. They stopped making software that was as reliable as a one-legged man at an ass-kicking party and went into something that's pretty, pretty relevant, yeah. Respect, yeah. you yeah. know, for whoever did that. I mean, I remember when you used to run early Windows, it would stop working, and I used to draw the analogy of BMW selling a car that would just stop in the middle of the road, where one had to get out, open and close the doors, open and close the bonnet, kick the tires three times, <laughs> flash the lights, and then it may restart again. Well, you know, mercifully, we've uh, moved beyond those days, and, you know, I think Microsoft deserves the position that it's had because it's, it's turned itself into a, you know, an organization that, that delivers stuff that's robust and reliable and... Uh, yeah, they've moved beyond the early days of paying no dividends as well. So, <laughs> I, I must say, I was, I was, and, and plenty of people were skeptical about uh, the move to software as a service. Uh, I thought, you know, why on earth would I want to pay for the software year in and year out when I could just buy a perpetual license? I was very wrong. Um, software as a service has been an incredible success, and not only for for Microsoft. You mentioned Adobe as well with the Creative Suite, uh, and we're seeing it in the share prices. Um, it actually makes sense, and I actually like. I actually like renting software now, it makes yeah, more sense. No. It doesn't feel as foreign as what it used to be. I mean, you can pay a lot less in the case of Outlook as a service or even the office, you know, under 100 bucks in some cases. Uh, it, it, it's not as expensive what we thought. You know, paying perpetually, yes, you are paying all the time like you'd be paying off a car, but the benefits are always a lot of software, you really get good support, mm. and they, they love bundling new features with the, with the software because it's incentive for them to make sure it's the best version it can be all yeah. the time. Yeah. You know, Rahul, I think there's a, there's a distinct difference between cars and software. You know, cars generally, right, are hardware and they depreciate, right, and they become worthless. Uh, if one goes to software as a service, if it doesn't work, one can stop paying for it, mm. right? You can't stop paying for the car. Except um, the vehicle industry is, is maybe getting transformed as well through this service model a la Uber. Yes, yes, yes. Um, millennials today, according to research that I've seen, don't want to buy stuff anymore. They don't want to own a car. Um, you know, if they want to get a ride in a fancy Merc S-Class, they'll haul out their app, and their Uber app, and they'll, they'll call up an Uber, what do they call it, an Uber? Uber, Uber Black. Uber Black, Uber, Uber Black, Black, yeah. Uber Black. And, um, you know, so it's it's potentially not just the software industry that's going to be transformed by this as-a-service type of model, but other industries as well. Yeah. Oh, let's not forget hardware makes it, software makes it possible. I mean, the software still drives it. You know, the app mm. is a software based. The, the artificial intelligence is going to make this car potentially drive on its own from point A to point B. That's going to be software. So, mm. and it works out in hand. I mean, I attended a conference yesterday. Uh, the company's name is here. It's part of Microsoft, I believe, yeah? It's, oh, yeah, it's the, old, the old Navtech. Mm. It was yes. ma mapping software. I yeah, thought it was, it was, I realized well, Microsoft owned it. I thought yeah, well, they, they acquired it, if I'm yeah. speaking under correction now. Mm. Uh, it was first sold, Navtech was first sold to Nokia for between 7 and 9 billion euro. I can't quite remember. Um, and then <clears throat> it was part of Nokia when uh, Microsoft went in and sent in their man, who I can't remember his name offhand, to destroy Nokia's value, uh, which he did. Uh, very, very well with the cooperation of the then-time CEO called Ollie Pecker, somebody who I can't remember. And um, I remember, him. I remember uh, him. When they sold Nokia in its entirety, right, to uh, to Microsoft, when the deal finally went down, I think it went down for about four billion dollars, um, from nine billion euro or seven to nine billion. I think that was the range to buy a mapping company to selling the entire Nokia into Microsoft five years later for four billion. Right. Was a was a spectacular feat, I think, actually. Yeah? <laughs> um, what, yeah. what more can one say? You know, Microsoft started in, in that area, I think, uh, to try and promote phone sales right, of Microsoft phones. That was the rationale behind doing the deal at the time, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it's, it's now, well, Microsoft, I don't think, care much about phones, to be honest, unless I'm missing the point there. They've given up on it. Yeah, yeah they've yeah. given up on it, uh, like they did many other hardware things, uh, but they're so big in software that their hardware failures were unnoticeable, actually, mm. uh, in context of their overall revenue and mm. their investments. But when I have a look at what they're looking at now, right, and, you know, they're a bit behind the curve, uh, mm. I have to say, but, mm. uh, 
you know, they talk about amazing things that are going to happen. Uh, they talked about them yesterday. Well, most of those things are actually happening. And um, they're going to this, this open portal standard where they're going to uh, not only be concerned now with things that move around, as in vehicles, but things that are firmly planted and the Internet of Things is becoming right part of what location is about. Location doesn't necessarily mean one's moving, and it's taken them a little while to get that. And there are only a couple of players in the world that can actually step up and do that job properly. And looking at what Microsoft has in terms of its overall back-end infrastructure, I mean, Amazon could do the same. Mm -hmm. they've, got, they've got the pervasiveness of customer base. They've got the plumbing. They've got the technology. They've got the server farms. So there are only a couple of players that can actually go out there and take that high ground. So I was watching you know, that development with great interest, having been involved in Garmin, you know, for, for some years previously at a, at a senior level and looking at what they were peddling then and looking at what they're peddling now, well, you know, we're still peddling some of the same stuff, but it's hardly relevant mm. to their revenue and hardly relevant to their future revenue models. So, you know, and another thing that I noticed, which was very interesting on their sheet, and well, none of the automotive people saw it, I don't believe, is that they have a key partnership with DJI, world leader in UAVs and drones. So we can see that there are things happening right there that I think mm -hmm. are going to be very, very interesting uh, in, in, into the future. I, I was curious. I just looked up on Wikipedia who currently owns here. Uh, it's, it's owned by a whole consortium of car companies and others. Intel. Uh, Intel bought in this year. That's right. Uh, GRC Private. And then Tencent, hmm. uh, Navinfo, Mercedes, BMW, and Audi. Interesting collection of companies. It was yeah. all owned at one stage, if I'm not mistaken, Duncan. I could be mistaken, by by Nokia and yeah. and then subsequently Microsoft. So Microsoft. Not according to this. Not according, according to, to this. Okay. Wikipedia doesn't okay. mention Microsoft specifically, so I think that may have been excluded from the from the Nokia sale. They were owned, um, or certainly Navtech was a big investor. Navtech. Well, Navtech was the company, the the original company. Right, yes. So that they, they, they were the investor from 85 to 2007, so they've been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then Nokia from 2007 to 2015, and then in 2015, Audi, BMW, and Merck uh, bought into it. And then, and then subsequent to that, we've seen Navinfo, Tencent, and Intel buying in as well. You see what's happening there. Mm -hmm. It's happening. You know, so coming back to your, 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 your automotive uh, uh, point, mm -hmm. you know, oh, cars into the future will not be, will not be owned. Yeah. yeah, in in whatever way they're presented. I mean, Sweden, where if I'm in Sweden, I take out my credit card, I walk up to a car, stick it in, I take it off the pole where it's charging, I drive it to where I want to go, I put it down and I push the app and then I walk away and I get the bill. Hmm. That's quite a convenient way for me if I really need a car. Well, no one doesn't really need a car in Gothenburg, to be honest. <laughs> um, you know, if you really need a car, then one can do it uh, like that. Yeah, there's a couple of cities around the world that do that now. Um, uh, I think Vancouver's one as well. You just get an app, you say, I want this vehicle, hop in, drive it wherever you want, and leave it there. Yeah. Next yeah, guy comes fantastic. along, picks it up, off he goes. I love it, I love it. I'm not well, sure that uh, would work in South Africa. but Well, you know, yeah. law and order is somewhat of a challenge at the moment. Uh, I think there could be some... some, some appropriation of asset incidents <laughs> taking no matter what software one puts in there. Suddenly you see all these, these cars heading for the Mozambique border. <laughs> They're going to have a problem when they get there. <laughs> there's, there's, there's nowhere to plug them in. <laughs> but also, let's not forget, you know, once these cars, uh, you know, are, are remotely accessible, you know, if, if anybody sees irregular use, they just switch the car off remotely and then mm. kill it, you know, and then I guess... I'm sure they can build in these safety switches, but Maybe. we're not quite there yet for South Africa. We've been able to do that for a long time. The law prohibits tracking companies from turning cars off. Really? Yes. In South Africa specifically? Or? I don't know. I, know. I know that in South Africa that is the case. I don't know about the rest of the world. That's interesting. Accidents and liability incidents and the thing stopping in the middle of a junction. Yeah. Well, quite uh, frankly, if okay. it's been nicked, okay. yeah, you know... Mm, yeah, but then there's the other party, the innocent party, who may be involved mm -hmm. in that, which one has to always consider in, in, in the yeah. balance of probability yeah. and, um, and the outcome. But we can do those things. Mm. We've been able to do them for some time, mm. but it's not allowed. Yeah, yeah. So Amazon, the other company that um, reported quarterly results yesterday, last night, and uh, share, also share price also surging, I think up 8% in pre-market trading at the moment. Company's worth half a trillion dollars. Um, 
This is a humble little retailer, that online retailer that started in the mid-90s. And Richard, you were saying before we started podcasting, many people thought Jeff Bezos was crazy. Um, they did indeed. He certainly, they were wrong. They were certainly wrong, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> Richest man in the world now, uh, depending on what Microsoft's share price does today. But uh, mm-hmm. it looks like he's going to end the day as the world's richest man. I didn't believe he was crazy at all. You know, he was very fortunate, right? If one has a look at what happened with the dot bomb, mm. he started just before or thereabouts. Yeah, late 90s, I think they... Mm. 96, 97, if I remember. So the dot bomb came and everybody went, ah, oh, this online retailing stuff is all nonsense and that's a fail. And nobody looked at him. He had a wonderful environment, right, in which to start to build something that had a major competitive advantage. And it didn't take him long to realize that the competitive advantage wasn't actually in in the retailing per se. It was taking the tools that they developed for their own use, polishing those tools and making them available right, to to the market in general. Right? And a bit of a Trojan horse really if one looks at it because at some stage one will directly or indirectly be working with your competitors, their data, right, and you know, their metadata and you know, one's able to draw some 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 good good intelligence from that, I think. I mean, I have a tremendous amount of respect for what he's done. And, you know, what's remarkable to me is that when one speaks to people generally about Amazon today, you know, they believe that Amazon's fortunes, right, were built on and rest on online retailing. They don't. Mm. They rest on infrastructure. They rest on systems, things that properly work. Amazon Cloud, I mean, you know, that's probably the most... In, in the biotech industry and in the health industry. Amazon Cloud is the one that's trusted. Microsoft never got trusted there. It's the uh, biggest cloud provider in the world. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft's chasing them hard, but uh, they've got some serious catching up to do still. Mm. Um, but it's, it's not, I mean, that Amazon Web Services business has been unbelievably successful. But even on the retail side, I mean, they've built these mega warehouses. They, they're talking about transforming the logistics and they have transformed logistics. Yeah, I mean, if you look yeah. at the robots inside these uh, distribution centers, mm. The software behind it. Um, How they sort their products. I mean, mm. that's all genius stuff. You know, it's stuff that's figured out out of necessity rather than let's build something because it's a business. Mm. I think we have to be quite clear, though, guys, that, that, that they perfected it. They didn't... Invent it. No, they didn't. And no. the company that took it first was Apple, and that was in their Apple Dawn warehouse in Amsterdam. Um, but in those days, it was very expensive, right? It was a very closed system. Things were very customized. There weren't any economies of scale was just Apple and Apple stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, I remember going into that warehouse and the entire warehouse for Europe, Middle East and Africa was two men. <laughs> it's, and I still had hair and teeth. You raise right. an interesting point <laughs> though, Richard. Uh, in, in tech, and that's probably the case in other industries as well, it's never the guys who invent it. Not, well, I wouldn't, mustn't say never, but in many instances, it's not the guys who invent it who actually be, go on to become the big players in that space. It's the guys who take something that's been invented and then perfect it. Microsoft did not invent the operating system for desktops. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically cribbed CPM. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were so successful in how they brought it to market and, and um, business model. Yeah, the business model was so incredibly successful for them. Um, Apple, I mean, Apple did not in- invent the smartphone, but it took um, something that was flawed and perfected it, and it has become the most successful consumer product in history. Um, I mean, you can think of so many examples. Well, I mean, I, I have an analogy that I used to use sometimes when opening talks that I gave when I was talking to all of the clever PhDs and learning how clever they are. Mm. Um, you know, I would ask people to say, okay, well, please, do you agree, put up your hands if you agree um, that the Wright brothers invented powered flight and they'd all put their hands up and I would say no you're actually all wrong they didn't other men invented it and died trying to make it sustainable the Wright brothers simply made it sustainable mm. and that's the kind of analogy that you're using right now to mm. say you know the people ask me the question how many businesses have you started that isn't the right question the question is how many businesses have you been involved in right that have worked sustainably that's the real question because starting things is is easier than making them sustainable. Mm. And it's massive leaps in innovation, okay, that make them sustainable, actually, if we look at the, the examples that you've raised. So it really is, that's what it is, mm. yeah. And I wonder what the next, the next thing is going to be, you know. I mean, if I look back at, at the big things in my life, you know, the, 
I mean, I remember in the very building we're sitting in right now in 1987, putting down a web server here. And I remember having discussions with my then time investors and saying to them, there are three people at the table uh, and they will give us 51% of this consortium right, to, be an inter the, the, to be a relevant internet service provider. And the view then was, well, you know, I think this internet thing is going to be a little, like, a little bit like CB radios. I'm not interested. <laughs> you know, it, it's when you have the people who have the vision, mm. right, the Ronnie Artigas of this world who stepped into that thing and took it forward. Right, and, and took the chances and, and made the business model work and made the market. Yeah? Yeah. I think those are the guys that win. Yeah, so it's, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I hope I'm around and, and in decent health right, and for another few years, you know, probably into my 90s, because I don't even think we've seen anything happen yet right, from well, a tech point of view at all. That was the question I was going to pose next. We've seen this massive run-up in tech stocks, especially in the U.S., uh, and, I mean, they're sitting on PE multiples. I mean, Microsoft um, sitting on a PE multiple of 30. I was going to say 30, yeah. yeah. Um, Adobe, 58. Uh, you know, these are, these are expensive stocks. But the question is, uh, it has cloud and software as a service transformed this industry in such a way that these sort of multiples are sustainable? And are we going to continue to see this sort of growth? Uh, Amazon, Amazon's, I mean... Uh, where is Amazon? Here it is. Amazon's price to earnings multiple before the markets open today. Have a guess, Richard. 40, 45? 245. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> I, the answer is, I don't know, but I have a few. Let's go back four years to when I first became involved in biotech. I mean, involved in is a is a very loose term. I'm by no means an expert, but four years ago when I became involved in, 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 in US biotech, that's because that's where biotech happens, I, I was looking at things very carefully. And in, in that year, be, between Apple, Amazon, and Google, they employed more cell biologists than the entire pharma industry. Where's the sustainability for these companies going to come from? It ain't going to come from plumbing. It ain't going to come from hardware. These companies all have connected customers that will have permission, they will have trust. Mm. Healthcare, right, as we know it, will be the thing that drives and sustains their values. Mm. Right? And if we look at how that will happen, you know, and I'm, I'm being very, very sort of futuristic and tofflerish and out, outrageous in my views, but... You know, the only way that we can move from a world where, where we have this disparity that exists is to, and where we have 10% of the people in the world that do 100% of the work and 90% that don't, right, is through these platforms, is through these amplifying and, and making the efficiencies, right, and being able to provide health care, right, that keeps the population of the world stable. And that's what is going to sustain them, in my view, into their next round of value. So they may not grow as quickly as they have, but the values that they have, I believe for the most part, right, can be sustained if they pick the right associations and they move into the right application areas. Mm. Uh, that would be my, my, my view on it. Interesting. I mean, that healthcare side of things, um, Apple, Google, through mm. Alphabet, mm. they're all investing big money in it. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're right, the aging populations, um, rich populations in these developed markets, huge potential to fuse technology and, 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 and healthcare to make people live longer and uh, healthier lives. And the, the opportunity there must be absolutely enormous. Again, that talks back to the, to the recently announced uh, national health and fitness initiative in China the nation will stay healthy and fit. India, right, is rolling out something similar. When you have one third of the world's population plus another third of the world's population moving into these connected health areas, there has to be a sustainable upside, right, for those who own the plumbing, the platforms, the relationships, the trust, the vendor relationships for the drugs. You know, all of that stuff will change for us the ability to scrape inside your mouth, right, and just upload it to a cloud, the ability to actually self-blood test. You can prick your own finger as a diabetic. We can do it 
We do it for other reasons. Drop it into a reader. We can test immediately for eight diseases. That stuff is real, guys. It's happening. Your next iPhone is actually literally going to draw your blood. <laughs> literally going to draw your blood, yeah. <laughs> a financial incident. <laughs> so out of, interest, out of interest, I've just pulled up the, um, the share graphs for, uh, um, for the big, big tech companies in the States. And um, I'm obviously missing a few here. But mm. I pick, I've pulled up the, the share graphs for Alphabet, which is Google, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, and Apple. Who, uh, let's let's start with the worst performer out of those five. Who would you guess of those five companies was the worst performer over five years? List again, please, sir. Google, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple. Oh, that's a tough one. Facebook. No. The worst performer over five years is Apple, up 82%. Any guesses on the best performer? Well, it has to be Amazon based on its PE. I would say Facebook. It's Facebook. <laughs> Facebook well, up eight hundred percent over five I mean, years. They're basically like every every person on earth on their platform. So it, it it really shows guys that I don't understand the markets properly, and I got an FX for maths in matric. <laughs> <laughs> but interesting to see Apple yes. is such a la uh, laggard compared to those other big tech companies, and um, it's the only one there that's. Uh, let me just check. It's the only one. Yeah, it's the only one there that's a hardware company mainly. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. However. If you have the hardware base and you've sweated mm. the blood to build it, you're in the best position to capitalize on it from a service point of view. Which is what they're trying to do now. Yes. Mm. Mm. So yes. that picture could look very different over the next five oh, years. Could. I learned that in the printer business. Everybody <laughs> say, why are you in printers? Yeah, printers? To sell ink. Printers were awful. Yeah, <laughs> supplies. Yeah. First annuities business, proper annuity business yeah. in, in the high-tech sector. Yes. Right? How do you think Hewlett-Packard got so big? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and why did they get so small? Maybe that's another program. <laughs> yeah, well, they're two companies now. Yeah, well, my favourites, Puklet Hackard. <laughs> <laughs> employ people from HP. So I wouldn't employ anybody from HP. They don't know how to headbutt for market share. It's okay, I've been on the record before on that one. <laughs> and I survived. There were various attempts on my life, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so interesting one. So the best performer, Facebook, then Amazon, up 300%. Then Google up almost 200%, and then Apple. Oh, Microsoft, sorry, Microsoft uh, is the uh, fourth best performer, or second worst performer after Apple. But, uh, fourth best and second worst, that's a wonderful response. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Microsoft beating Apple over five years, sure. more than double the performance of Apple, which just shows you how, how successful that cloud strategy has been. Yeah, yeah. If they're outperforming Apple on the share market. You know the scary thing is, Apple had the high ground there and they didn't capitalize. I still get my stupid they bill for 44 rand a month from Ireland for iCloud. <laughs> yes. What was wrong with you? What were you smoking? Why, why did they get you iCloud so wrong? No I one uses it. Who uses iCloud anymore? I, I, I do to keep some things connected and yeah. I don't know how it works. So I just leave it on in case I destroy something. I mean, it's one of the, re you know, and yeah, I mean, th that's hardly a basis for a sustainable business in the cloud. Yeah. Is it having customers that won't turn it off in case their shit breaks? You know? I mean, yeah. you know. <laughs> Great. Well, um, let's, uh, let's move on. There's lots more to talk about. And um, SAP is in the news coming back to South Africa. Um, Does anybody know what it really stands for? Systems Applications Products. Wonderful. Um, How innovative German, is that? Yeah. The German equivalent thereof. <laughs> I'm not sure what German is for, for Systems Applications Products. But um, yeah, they've um, got themselves into a lot of hot water down here uh, over this, um, these alleged kickbacks. Mm. Uh, they are so concerned about them that they in fact reported them. They've said they've found evidence of kickbacks being paid to Gupta-owned companies. And they have reported this matter to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and to the U.S. Department of Justice for further investigation. Now, these two American organizations are uh, entities that you don't want to mess with. Um, they are in charge of, particularly the DOJ, is in charge of enforcing the U.S. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which is a very, very serious piece of legislation that, if you are found to be in contravention of, you are um, facing a lot of time behind bars. Um, so uh, I think they're making the right moves, SAP. They've, they've moved quickly once the uh, reports emerged, I think back in July, uh, that there was um, potential malfeasance in the South African office. They've now actually broken it down in figures and, and, and published numbers of saying the scale of these alleged kickbacks to these Gupta-owned companies 
uh, and the investigation is continuing. They've, of course, um, hired Baker McKenzie, which is an international law firm, to do this investigation. And this, this is going to continue for a period of time in parallel with the investigations that are now being launched in the U.S. What I found interesting at the press conference that SAP held this week was that um, they have not reported any of this to the South African authorities yet. Um, nor is there uh, any, uh, there wasn't any immediate evidence that the South African authorities are investigating this, although I've seen a subsequent report saying that the Hawks have started to look into it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a big mess for SAP. Um, I think they're handling it well, though. Um, I think that uh, they, had to, they had to come out and be transparent and they had to, um, they had to, they had to get an independent third party to look into this. And now that they've found uh, evidence of uh, malfeasance and kickbacks, etc., um, to secure government business here in South Africa. The fact that they've now um, placed three of the people who had been put on administrative leave on suspension, um, I think they've they've made the right moves. Hasso Platner, the founder of SAP, has publicly apologised to South Africa for this mess. Um, in general, I think they're doing the right thing. Um, Richard, I don't know if you have a view on this. You know, it's it's always very difficult. When, when one has these occurrences. Um, I don't think that one can deal with it any other way. Uh, and I think other organizations would have done well to learn that this is the only way to deal with things is openly yeah. and transparently. And I mean, I go back to my value system that back in the day when we shipped 500,000 map sets that had viruses in them on SD cards, <laughs> what do you do? You tell the people what's happened and yeah. you manage it. Don't pretend it didn't. Don't happen. pretend it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think a lot of a lot of corporates are good at pretending that things uh, didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I look at you know the the impact of this, the known impact that they've disclosed, which you've you know shared with us the figures and things. I think I'm worried that that is the tip of an iceberg. You know, if we have a look at the the very core of things that that uh, um, SAP uh, enables, and we have a look at right the technology hacks right that we've heard about, we haven't been given evidence of them, where various ports and things have been left open at the back end of stuff. Right, so that payments can be processed, etc. And this may not or may not be in the reports, but I think it's important to know that these are the type of conversations that are taking place, that these things have allegedly happened. Mm-hmm. Um, does it go beyond government, actually? You know, do they know where it starts and where it ends? That's my concern you know, for the country. It's a mess for, for SAP, but it's equally a mess right, for SA. Yeah. You know, when, no these, when such things are reported to those authorities, it has an impact on the country yeah. as well. But we have to take that medicine, unfortunately, because we have parties um, in, in, in positions here right, who were prepared to do the things that were done here, you know, to, to collaborate and, 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 and work with right, people that are not savoury people. And so they're still in political office. They are still in political office, absolutely correct. And it comes back to your question, Duncan, you know, or, or your observation that there was nothing reported to the South African authorities. I'm making an assumption here, right, but I think that if I were on, on SAP's side of the chessboard, I would be going, well, is there any point? <laughs> All it's going to do is sap resources from us. And if there's not going to be any result or any proper attention given to it, Let's just walk back right through the, in, into the lion's mouth in the U.S. and let's deal with it in an environment where, yes, we may end up in a very bad position, okay, but we can stand up at the end of it and say, we've done what we needed to do. Our reputation mm-hmm. is, is, is intact mm-hmm. to the extent we've taken responsibility for the actions of our employees. And the fact that they've taken that responsibility is probably the most important thing in the eyes of those doing, who are going to be prosecuting this case because if they tried to hide it, then it would have just made it so much worse for themselves and, and they, 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 the consequences probably would have been much more dire for SAP. I mean, if one looks at the, de- the level of dependence on SAP in corporate South oh, Africa, it's remarkable. It's, remarkable. Mm-hmm. it's big. Mm-hmm. It's very big. And, you know, what we don't want to do, right, is to have anything of this nature happen in any other place. 
we saw what happened with KPMG. It's still happening with KPMG with, with major corporate companies in South Africa firing them as auditors and saying, we don't want anything to do with you. But companies can't do that with SAP. Their software is so integrated into their day-to-day operations. It's so fundamental to their businesses that they actually don't have the option of saying, oh, sorry, SAP, we're not going to work with you anymore. We're going to install Oracle because you can't just do that. You can't just lift it out. No, no. It will cost you your business if you take that decision. And you have you have to take a balanced approach on these things because it's a shareholder issue. Yeah. You know, I mean, auditors respectfully keep score. Yeah. You know, we can find a ref anywhere and a scoreboard. Uh, and I think that's the difference. Yes. Uh, Indeed. I think I'm not going to be liked by any of the audit firms, yeah. <laughs> Even the one I do work with. So I won't mention their name because there's no point. <laughs> it's not that one, it's another one. It's not KPMG. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's, yeah. It's a reflection of the state of things in this country at this time. There's a lot of mess that's going to have to be cleaned up once all this nonsense is over, and it's going to take a long time. But um, I think these sort of investigations start that process, and um, we, we, we're going to see these headlines for years as, um, as, as the full extent of the rotten corruption under this administration comes out. And hopefully um, people are going to go to jail and there will be consequences for, um, for some of the stuff that's happened here. We can but hope. However, if we look at the parties, the, the known parties in these transgressions, okay, uh, there hasn't been much action to date in terms of dealing with them. No, not from local authorities. From local authorities. But with the FBI involved in some of these investigations now, the SEC, the US DOJ, and some British authorities as well, um, the things could get quite interesting. It could be a Bell Pottinger incident. <laughs> Right, let's take an ad break. We'll be back right after this. Honey, why can't I download any more series? Dad, my game just bombed. Daddy, I was speaking to Kevin and my cord just cut out. With uncapped Vox Fiber to the home, reaching your cap is a thing of the past. You can have all your devices connected all the time. Get unlimited browsing, unlimited calling, and unlimited entertainment. Vox Fiber, now uncapped. T's and C's apply. For more information, visit vox.co.za. Bitco is revolutionizing the way businesses connect. We're taking on your connectivity challenges and shooting our high-speed fiber internet across the country. Not just for some, but for everyone. Fiber is not a luxury, but a necessity. For business, for life, for you. And being connected is everything. So network with a tier one internet provider and take your business to the next level of connectivity. Bitco.co.za. Connectivity is everything. Welcome back to the show. How's it, guys? How's it, Richard? How's it, Rechert? How's it? So we've got a new submarine cable coming to South Africa. Um, I didn't think we needed any more, but uh, there we go. I mean, we can always use with more capacity. That's true. Uh, and this is going along a route that, uh, that there, where there is no fiber cable at the moment. So it's going to run from South Africa, apparently from East London, which is interesting. Um, mm. It'll be the first cable uh, system landing in East London if they do deploy it there. It's going to be ready for service in 2019. It's being built by a company called IOX Cable, which is a Mauritian-based company. And it's going to connect all the Indian Ocean Islands, uh, Mauritius, Rodriguez, uh, Reunion, and one or two others. And then it's going to run to India and then connect onward to Asian cables. So a new route um, and, uh, yeah, more redundancy for South Africa. I am interested in the fact that it's coming to East London, though, because um, there's no other submarine cable systems to connect to there at the moment. Um, I know SeaCom and others have been talking about, for a long time, been talking about running a cable, uh, an undersea cable from Cape Town to, uh, to East London and then, sorry, from Cape Town to PE to East London to Durban and to Mtanzini. Uh, to connect all of the other undersea cables, uh, WAX and SAFE mm, and SeaCom mm. and all the others. Uh, so um, my educated guess here is that um, they, if they are going to build to East London, uh, that uh, this would be part of a plan to build a cable system along the coast of South Africa as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which would be the first one. It would be. Although, no, it's not the first one. St- no, the, the old um, SAT3 SAFE cable ra- runs along the coast to not uh, the Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's a very low capacity cable. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, you can't compete with fiber on that. Yeah, that's, well, it is fiber, but it's it's very old technology. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sat two was copper. Sat three was fiber. Okay. Yeah. 
I've actually, it's fascinating. If you ever get the chance, by the way, go down to um, Melkbos Strunt, uh, north of Cape Town, where all these cables, uh, cables land, um, there at Azerfontein. There's a little museum there that uh, I think Telcom built. Um, and you, you go in there, and it was at, at the landing station, there's a little room with all the old cables. Hmm. The original SAT-1 cable was about, uh, I don't know, almost a foot <laughs> thick <laughs> metal. I mean, the thing must have cost an absolute fortune uh, in, in today's money to build. And SAT-2 is also a big, fat piece of metal, copper cable, um, that de- deployed for 10,000 kilometers. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, today's systems are much smaller. They're still wrapped in huge amounts of plastic and protective materials. Um, but um, incredible, if you get a chance to go up there, it's worth the drive. But, yeah, new cable coming, so um, more bandwidth. 54 Yay. terabit per second de- design capacity, uh, ultimate design capacity. So uh, that should be enough to download the next iOS update. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope it works properly. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Um, but Mauritius is an interesting place. Have you been to Mauritius, Richard? Yes, I have. It's um, it's getting hyper connected. Twenty years ago, twenty okay. years ago, it made some T-shirts, yeah. right? Yeah, and it had p- pretty bad roads. And today, it's a, I believe a very very different kettle of fish. Yeah, and you know, I mean, from what I have been told about it, it's it it is the gateway to African trade. The finance guarantees on payments in and out of the rest of Africa all run through there, and I don't know much about the the underlying principles you know, of its economy. I don't know who's invested there. I don't know whether it's real or There's not. A, they have low tax rates, so they've attracted a lot of head offices of companies that operate in Africa. MTN has an office there. Seacom's head office is, 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 is in, in there, although not, I don't think they're really based there. A lot of companies technically have their head offices there. A bit there. like Schaffhausen in Switzerland, where you get a 2% tax rate. <laughs> right. They <laughs> negotiated with the man. <laughs> Um, but they, they're doing good things as well from what I've seen. I've never been to Mauritius. I'd love to go. Uh, but it's not the first submarine cable. I think they built something called the Lion Cable there as well, which connects uh, some of those islands to Madagascar, if I'm not mistaken, possibly up to the east coast of Africa. Um, but it's an interesting place, and uh, they, they're doing, they're doing some, some interesting things to attract investment, specifically in the tech space. Oh, yeah, I mean, there are some wonderful, wonderfully innovative company structures one can have there, right, between there and South Africa and... Mm. I look at those and I think to myself, I wonder who made those up then? You know, I mean, I'm no expert with these things, but when I look at things and you think, how does that work? Yes. How does it sustain? I don't know. Um, I like Mauritius. I mean, I enjoyed it there. I think I'm going to have to go and do some research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, test, uh, do some speed tests from the... Uh, ten, ten days in, in Mauritius. Calls. Yeah. I'm sure you can justify yeah, that. Yeah, business expense. <laughs> you, know, you know what's really incredible for me? Just, I mean, on, on the cable side of things... Mm. I remember when, when it, I remember when it was the biggest news ever, and all of us were so psyched about a cable coming. Now we go, now it's a new bit of wire, bird. You know, it's really not an event, actually. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, for me, the challenge we face is we've got all of this stuff around the edges, and we've got bugger all in the middle. Yes. How do we serve the middle yeah. of Africa as yeah. a continent versus the edges? Indeed. Is uh, is is a a far bigger yeah. sort of uh, challenge and a far bigger mm. enabler. Yeah. And if one looks at the countries that have got that right and one looks at their cost of connectivity, places like Ghana, mm. you know, on a graph compared to the rest of Africa, the scale is so, so out of whack, mm-hmm. right? When you look at Ghana, you think it do, th- there's no cost. It's just a very little thin line at the bottom. And, you know, I think there are some lessons to be learned from that as well. But the more and more cables that come in, right, the more and more availability there's going to be of, of, of connectivity. Yeah. And I think yeah. that'll drive the... It'll drive the, the, uh, the terrestrial fiber. Yeah, and, and, I mean, Strive Masi, you were the guy who started Econet, is um, doing very well in doing exactly that with Liquid Telecom. It's wiring up, running cable, running fiber infrastructure all the way up through Africa. I think the, their, their stated intention is to wire up Africa from Cape to Cairo. And they're um, doing a lot of work. That's th- that intention was shared with me by an, another lady that I know fairly well, a lady called Ellie Hargopian. I know Ellie, yes. Okay, so yeah, mm. that's a statement from two ends. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's the mission. <laughs> that's the mission, yeah. And uh, lastly, on the news front, um, Apple 10, iPhone 10 pre-orders have gone in. Uh, Rechard, have you placed your pre-order? Oh, man, no. <laughs> because if you hadn't, you had, uh, I think their pre-orders sold out in 10 minutes or 30 minutes. I think I'll wait for the next wave when it's a bit cheaper. Maybe yeah. next year sometime when my contract lapses and I need to yeah. get a new one. Yeah. yeah. So pre-orders opened in the US and they were sold out in 30 minutes. 
quite remarkable. But Apple is um, struggling to get uh, the components it needs for the iPhone 10, and um, it's potentially a problem for them. There was a great piece we published from Bloomberg this week uh, saying that um, Apple's had a rare um, miss on uh, the logistics side of the operations, where Tim, Tim Cook historically has been very strong. Uh, they don't have, um, they haven't lined up all the comp screen components and other components, high-end components in this device uh, to get sufficient um, volume to Scale market. production to, Yeah, and uh, that's potentially a big problem because that's the area where Apple has really excelled versus, versus uh, some of its competitors yeah. in the Android space. Um, no doubt that they're working furiously to, to get these problems sorted out and no doubt there'll be plenty of iPhone X stock in the market by next year. But um, it looks like you're going to have difficulty getting an iPhone mm -hmm. 10 in time for Christmas, uh, particularly down here in South Africa. And didn't they also uh, decrease the accuracy of their facial scanner to get the uh, they did to get the production out because they couldn't they increase the quantities? Uh, yeah. Apparently, it's only a minor decrease in the quality, but still, Apple having to make, to cut quality to yeah, get product out is not a good sign. You know, if one looks at the the material supply component supply pipelines, you're having to take those positions 18 months ahead. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you've got product evolution, you've got product yeah. change, you've got a lot of stuff that happens in there. Yeah. I mean, I've had a little bit of exposure to that, doing work in 2000, 2001 um, around the world, and it's it's actually remarkable, right, that it actually works at all sometimes yes. when, when <laughs> yeah. one looks at it. Question: Would I, would I, uh, iPhone 10? Yes. Did I order one? Yes. Right. My mate's getting me one. Yes. Right. Uh, from my point of view, uh, and I think this may be something that Apple maybe overlooked the scale of it. What they've done with 10 for the first time is they've put a real computer in your pocket. It is the first step towards pocket computing if one looks at the specification, if one looks at, the, at what the machine can do. Right, from a processing point of view. I'm sure Samsung would disagree with that sentiment. <laughs> well, you know, the problem is this. I can get the new Samsung anywhere, and I can't get the Apple, you see. So maybe, maybe there's a little, little bit of manipulation. Yeah, creating the hype, you know. Steve was, uh, Steve was very good at that, you yeah. know. And, you know, so are you an, you're an iPhone user then, are you, uh, Richard? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, through and through. Absolutely. You've been using it since the beginning. Haven't you? Absolutely. Okay. There's not one that I haven't had. Okay. <laughs> and um, uh, it'll... it'll um, Actually, uh, did I, yeah, I haven't, no, there's not one that I haven't had, but it's still current. Right. So, yeah, one has to be careful with, uh, with that statement. But I think my early affiliations with Apple in the 80s, yeah. you know, once one was aligned with, with the people, mm -hmm. first of all, uh, and, and then the brand values, and then one watched the Steve Jobs' journey of being kicked out on his ass by John Scully, and, you know, uh, the, the fact that, uh, that, one could see what had to happen, right, mm. to make the company work again. Uh, and the fact that it happened and the fact that he came back for a dollar and all of those things. Mm -hmm. Those were all things that were in my life before the book was ever written by Walter Isaacson. Right. So, you know, right. uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a crowd of us out there that are all 55 models. <laughs> you know, Gates is a 55 model. Steve was a 55 model. And, um, you know, what's interesting, of course, is that uh, the 55 models, right, uh, that are the most successful ones, are the ones that are left-handed and dyslexic, <laughs> because both Jobs and Gates are left-handed and dyslexic, and so am I. So, I'm in hallowed company. Yeah. <laughs> if if only I'd been hot. No. 100 millionth as good as both of them are, then I would have been fine. You know? <laughs> or bought those bitcoins many years ago, then you'll be fine. I well. bought some. Got some stashed. Some pieces, yes. That nice. was another thing that everybody going. What price did saying? you pay? What was the, I can't remember, what was the entry price? Oh, it was like fractions of a cent. Yeah. It was, I think, I think I was about $20 or something. I don't know. Oh, wow. Okay, so you're sitting on a gold mine. Yeah. Uh, no, there was only a few. It was a test. It was something that I became interested in, not so much from a virtual currency or a cryptocurrency point of view at the time, but it was a, it was a, a technology, mm -hmm. uh, the technology aspect, and it was having a, a very, uh, the best understanding possible okay, of, of, of the underlying tech because I really believe that that underlying tech will, will also be a very, very key part, right, of what we do in healthcare and being involved in... in the blockchain. The blockchain, yeah. Right? You know, yeah. looking at the utilization of that five, six, seven years ago, mm -hmm. right, and, and more, more specifically four years ago in the healthcare environment, it's a, it's a, it's a thing. Yeah. 
you know, it really is. And there were there were a lot of other South Africans that saw it at the same time. Vinnie mm. Lingham being one. Yeah. Um, Vinnie's been hugely successful. Indeed. Have you had a look at Civic, his new venture? I have. Yeah, it's impressive. What he spoke to me about it before he launched it. Actually. Okay. He revisited us at CSR. Oh, right. And, uh, okay. And, uh, he, he didn't have very good things to say about the government either, so... I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, he's quite, quite... He's quite vocal on that, yeah. No, no, he's, he's a good good lad, yeah he's, yeah. he's out there, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are other guys like... What's his name? Stan C. Chon. Uh, you know what we should do, Duncan? We should do a podcast on South Africans that have been successful mm. and not be hung up on Mark Shuttleworth. Mm. Well, four years ago when I was talking about Elon Musk to the PhDs at CSR, nobody knew who he was. <laughs> um, there are others out there that are as successful. Yeah, plenty right, of them. That are hidden. Rulof Boerter, David Frankel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there are lots of guys out there. And guys, you, some of us probably haven't even heard of who are doing amazing things. Stanley C. Shong, right? I don't know that name. No, he's a medical doctor. Okay. Went to UCT. Did his time in East London and the system. He's the richest man in LA. He owns the LA Dodgers. He's the most influential on biotech platforms in the world. Wow. Wow. I must uh, must Google him after the show. He's proper. (laughs) He's proper. There's things happening out there that people are doing. Rudolf Berta, yes. I played soccer with his father. We we worked together, the economist, we worked together with Richard Mills. Right. He was a good soccer player because he spent a lot of his life in Europe because Puck was the ambassador. So, yeah, we had soccer players and musicians. His grandfather Mm -hmm. was Puck Boerter. That's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Smart guys in that family, actually. Um, Is Puck Boerter still alive? Yes, he is indeed. Very much so. Yo, he must be old. He is, but understand, I think he's a good man to take an interview with. He's still there. Yes. He's still up there. Yes. I see Peter uh, now and again, yeah. the musician's son, who I've known for many, many years. Yeah, a bit and of the black sheep of the family. Oh, well, you know, he's always <laughs> a black sheep, yeah. And, um, you know, he's, uh, you know he, I look at him and, you know, he says that him and his dad have great arguments. But mm. uh, when I see them and I look at the way that they carry themselves and they talk, right, mm. there's more than a similarity. You know? Right. One, one can't wish the genes away. And then, of course, there's Puck's brother, uh, who's a very, very successful engineer. Mm-hmm. And then there's his daughter, Dr. Lisbeth Boerter, who's one of the top uh, AI people in the world, hmm. uh, one of the top machine learning people in the world. Hmm. And uh, yeah, there's some interesting Boerters out there. Yeah. Bright ones. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah. there's, um, there's uh, coincidentally, I think um, uh, the book launches tomorrow. If we look at uh, um, Puck's brother, He's married to, he was married to Lisa, and she was the boss lady at the University of Stellenbosch okay. for many years. And uh, I've, uh, I've looked into a little bit of her history. Remarkable woman. Remarkable. Mm. And there's a book being launched about your life tomorrow, I believe. Okay. So there we have, the Boerters have been covered too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but doing a podcast on that subject would be fascinating. I think it would be. We get to get some of these guys on the podcast as well. We can well, that's what I think we get some people to call in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they'd be keen actually. So I don't know if we'd get Elon, but uh. <laughs> no, maybe not. Uh, maybe not. But there were some others that we could, mm. and if we were, I think it would be good. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's something. You know, well, is it positive? Yes. Is it negative? Yes. You know, the, the common denominator when we look at most of these people is they're not here anymore. Yeah. So yeah. you know, I think we have to be. We have to also be very frank. And, and take their views on that subject as well. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, our sponsors may not like us. So. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, that, uh, that discussion covers the news and plenty else besides. But let's get on to our regular features. I, I, didn't fi- I couldn't find a loser. I don't know if Rechot or Richard, you have a, someone you'd like to pick on this week who'd, for doing something stupid or uh, um, it's quite easy to pick on the politicians. But yeah, uh, yeah. I can't think of one that stood out this week particularly. No, they were um, all equally bad. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we won't have a, a loser this week. And I think Jeff Bezos is our um, obvious winner this week. Fantastic uh, results oh, from yeah. Amazon and uh, very likely at the close of trade in the US today to be the new world's richest man. Quite an accomplishment for someone who started out selling stuff uh, online 20 years ago. Some oh, books. I would have thought. The yeah. books, it was some books. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Sell some books online. Yeah. Now he's the world's richest man. But he's building retail books yeah. too. Mm. Yeah. Which mm. is interesting. Yeah, very maybe, interesting. Maybe Omni Channel is another subject for another podcast. Yeah. It bought Whole Foods. Yeah. yeah. Whole Foods is a big one. Yeah. That's a grocery retailer. I mean, 
Sure, who would have thought? But that's nutrition and health. Yeah. It's a building block. And it's a distribution network. Yes, mm. but he also mm. bought a newspaper in his private capacity. He did, he did. And and he's, and he's in a race with Musk to, uh, to get to Mars. However, if you have a man on a bicycle that goes past the house every day to throw a newspaper onto the veranda, he can carry something else. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about that uh, logistics? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Richard, what's your uh, pick this week? So I've been playing with a little speaker set. This was launched very recently called the Logitech Wonder Boom. Um, and I'll just switch it on and give you a little sound demo. That's just a little sound. It, I uh, saw one of these the other day. Yeah, it was, cool. I think they had them at the Logitech launch. Yes, they did. Um, it goes for about one and a half thousand rand. It's, a, it's essentially a 360 speaker, it's which waterproof, is waterproof, right? Well, it's IPX7 waterproof, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can splash it in water. Um, the sound is actually pretty fantastic. But, okay, so let me just describe what it looks like. It's a little round canister-looking, ball-looking speaker. But what is really nice, like I said, is it's got 360-degree sound. So as soon as I put on some tunes, you'll actually hear that it, uh, it'll it play music. So mm-hmm. you can put this in the middle of a table and everybody can you know, yeah. listen to music. But the sound quality and the bass, low-end notes, is pretty impressive. I'll just turn it up a, bit, a little bit. I'll probably sure. clip the mics, but you can, you can hear it. I mean, that is, that is not bad, eh? I mean, this is a little room. And I thought even Max, I'm still halfway there, yeah. so... I've been very impressed with this. For one and a half thousand rand, this is kind of the speaker that I would carry with me all the time. Now, I'm yeah. coming from a place where I've got a jawbone, which retails for roughly the same price. Also a good speaker. But this one just seems to step up its game a little bit. It's got nice bass, yeah. Very nice bass. I mean, obviously, you were holding it, Richard, but if you put it on the table, you know, the wood also kind of... Know, amplifies a little bit of it so I find it just putting it on my desk you know it's it's been a nice way to listen to music let's turn the sound up again so we let can me, have a listen do this again. yeah that's very good I mean if you put it depending on the song too I mean the rock obviously has got a certain uh, mm. audio profile but uh, electronic music sounds absolutely fantastic on this because obviously that music is designed with really nice bass that mm. uh, makes use of what a speaker can produce. Um, but yeah, no, look, I've, this is definitely the kind of thing I'll be carrying with me. Um, one of the people in the office already said they've bought them on Tech a lot just right. after listening to this because it was yeah. that impressive. So I think the people have spoken and I'm pretty impressed with it. It looks Logitech. robust. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. And you you can, know, it you looks can like roll it will survive my 19-year-old son. Oh, yes. That's, oh, yes. A, that's a plus. At the, at the launch that I went to a few weeks ago, they had these inside fish tanks. Um, oh, and they were playing music inside the fish tank. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't tried that yet. I don't have a fish tank. but uh, And it's Logitech. <laughs> it's a Logitech one. Hey, yeah. go Yurst, man. It's a proper speaker. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, we did uh, do an interview with Yurst uh, two weeks ago on the Best in Tech podcast. And uh, yeah, this is one of the things yeah. that I've been playing with since then. And uh, yeah, I'm very, very impressed. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Go for How a demo in a store if you can, uh, just to listen to the audio. What's but, the recommended uh, retail price? One and a half thousand rand. No, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely... Um, much better value than the jawbone I bought two, mm. three years ago. And the audio is much better. Mm. And obviously, it's waterproof. Um, and it's got a nice little uh, loop there that you can hook onto your bag. So Yeah. And the 360 makes it. Cause the 360 can, yeah. is very nice. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, no directional audio. It's just you know, audio in every direction, which is fantastic. Cool. My pick this week is an app called Teleport. Uh, nothing serious at all. It's, uh, uh, it's It runs on iOS and, and on Android. Um, and for some reason, it is no longer opening because I installed an update <laughs> and it now says your device seems to be root enabled, which it is certainly not. Please disable to run this app. Oh, well, that's interesting. Well, I can describe it to you. I wanted to show it, but I can describe it to you. It's called Teleport. And uh, you take a photo of yourself or a friend and you can do all sorts of crazy things with that picture, like change the color of your hair, change your skin color. Um, oh, nice. Do all sorts of weird things. Put backgrounds in so it looks like you're in the Rocky Mountains. Or um, it's, it's quite gimmicky, but they, the way they've done it is, is pretty good. It's, um, it, it, uh, it, there's lots of fun stuff to do in there. You can make your hair pink and your skin green. And uh, well, We've got some pretty, pretty impressive algorithms at the back end yeah. designed to pick out all these colors that you want to change. Yeah. Um, there are quite a lot of app, these apps in the various stores, but uh, this one uh, is particularly fun. Um, so if you, uh, particularly if you've got kids and you're looking yeah, for a bit of fun yeah. over the weekend, I can highly recommend the Teleport app. Um, although I'm not sure why my S8 is telling me that my phone is rooted when I try and open it. Switch so it off and on again, that should solve it. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, a standard three-finger salute. It's a single <laughs> button today. <Yes. laughs> Just hold down the power button for 10 seconds, yeah. Or pull the battery out if you can. Yeah. No control <laughs> Not delete. On Apple. <laughs> Not on Apple, no. No. 
Um, and I think that's our show. Uh, apart from our quiz results, um, Rachel, do you want to do the first Sure. One? The first question in this week's quiz. A new submarine cable is headed to South Africa's shores. What is it called? And the answer there is the IOX cable system. Which two technology industry titans are dueling for the title of world's richest person? And that's, of course, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates. The third question. What is the name of the SAP board member who is dealing with the company's Gupta kickback scandal in South Africa? And the answer, Adair Fox Martin. If Spectrum in the 2.6 gigahertz band was released immediately, what would the price of a 1 gigabyte data bundle fall to, according to MTN South Africa CEO Godfrey Motzer? And that's 50 rand. Not bad. And the last question. AMD has a new line of desktop processors that it's hoping will help it gain market share from rival Intel. What is the processor line called? And the answer there is Ryzen. And that's our show. Richard, uh, I know we collared you in here at the last moment uh, to join us on the podcast. So thanks uh, for making the time. And thank uh, you. It's been a great, uh, it's a great discussion and good to catch up with you. Yeah, thank you very much. Rehat, uh, I will see you again next Friday. Uh, as always, if you've got any feedback on the show, info at techcentral.co.za is the email address. We'd love to hear from you. We read all your feedback. So until next Friday, cheers. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye.